How do current policies by the Chinese Communist Party affect everyday Americans? This is Brief Before Impact. Welcome everyone, I am Matt Parker and thank you for joining me. Tonight's episode was uh, chosen based upon feedback from my Instagram feed. Thanks for everyone who answered the question I recently put out of what news is worrying you currently. Gave a couple of options. Overwhelmingly, everyone chose China. Great deal of news going on currently about China. And so I'm hitting three topics on for today's brief. Number one, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi on her Asia tour, including Taiwan on her agenda. We're going to talk about the Chinese response to that trip. Secondly, the, the company 23andMe, you've, talked, you've heard me talk about this in the past on Chinese biotech companies collecting Americans' DNA and the impact of that. And lastly, I'm going to talk about the zero COVID policy that the Chinese Communist Party has, has implemented in cities like Shanghai and actually how that reveals a, a potential foreign policy effect on the United States. But before we get into all that, let me take a quick ad break, then we'll get to work. All right, welcome back, everybody. Starting off, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi on her Asia tour, uh, including many countries. And at this moment, as far as we understand, she will be visiting uh, Taiwan. Now, this has created quite the kickback from the Chinese Communist Party, uh, warning uh, that there will be a certain military response if Speaker of the House Pelosi is escorted by any type of American military uh, aircraft into the capital, Taipei. The Chinese see this as a provocation. So we're going to read a couple of uh, reviews of how this could be interpreted by the Chinese Communist Party, as well as kind of the timing of this trip. And this is according to the BBC. The White House has warned that China may respond to Pelosi's uh, mood visit to Taiwan with military provocations. This could, could include firing missiles at Taiwan or large-scale air or naval activities. Uh, this is according to John Kirby, the White House um, spokesman. Uh, now, Ms. Pelosi, uh, being on this tour of Asia, uh, according to Taiwanese and U.S. media outlets, says she plans to visit Taipei, the capital of Taiwan, but this has not been confirmed by the U.S. government. And obviously, the, these updates will come in along her tour if she continues to assess whether that is a good visit to make or not. Now, Taiwan, just as a reminder, a self-ruled island, but it's claimed by China, which has warned of serious consequences if Ms. Pelosi goes there. On Monday, the China United Nations envoy, Zheng Jun, he warned that the visit could undermine relations between Beijing and Washington, according to a report by Reuters. Now, Mrs. Pelosi, a senior figure in the Democratic Party, has long been a vocal critic of the Chinese leadership denouncing its human rights record. Now, the speaker began her tour on Asia of Asia on Sunday, and its stops uh, included Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan. Now, she originally planned to visit Taiwan in April, but post, postponed that trip after she tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, now, earlier this month, Mrs. Pelosi said it was, quote, important for us to show support for Taiwan. Again, on Monday, the White House National Security Spokesman, John Kirby, said that China's escalations could include making spurious legal claims in the days to come. For example, a claim would be claiming that the Taiwan Strait is not an international waterway, though it's recognized as one China could perhaps say, no, this is actually sovereign Chinese territory. He said other signs 
indicate that Beijing may send flights towards the island as a part of a planned incursion into Taiwan's airspace. These kind of incursions have actually been happening on a daily basis for the last several months. Uh, Again, according to Kirby, quote, there is no reason for Beijing to turn a potential visit consistent with longstanding U.S. policy into some sort of crisis or conflict or use it as a pretext to increase aggressive military activity in or around the Taiwan Strait. Uh, Meanwhile, he added, our actions are not threatening and they break no new ground. Nothing about this potential visit, this potential visit, uh, has a precedent, would change the status quo, end quote. This is essentially saying Pelosi's visit is totally within the the realm of being a normal for a high-level congressional visit to this part of the world and the foreign policy outlook that the United States has regarding Taiwan and China has not changed. They haven't, they're not signaling any kind of a change in policy. But I do want to kind of play devil's advocate and highlight how this could be bad timing and a bad idea by uh, Speaker Pelosi. And this is from a, an opinion piece, Thomas Friedman writing for the New York Times. And he writes, if we are going to get into a conflict with Beijing, at least let it be on our timing and our issues. Our issues are China's increasingly aggressive behavior on a wide range of fronts. That's cybersecurity intrusions to intellectual property theft, military maneuvers in the South China Sea. And that said, this is not the time for poking at China, especially considering what a sensitive time it is in China politics or Chinese politics. President Xi is on the eve of locking in an indefinite extension of his role as China's leader at the 20th Communist Party Congress, and that's expected to be this fall. The Chinese Communist Party has always made clear that reunification of Taiwan and mainland China is its historical task. And since coming to power in 2012, Xi has steadily and recklessly underscored his commitment to that task with an aggressive military maneuvers around Taiwan. I understand what Freeman is saying. He's saying we've already recognized a an aggressive Xi and the determination by the Chinese Communist Party to retake Taiwan. Responsible diplomacy doesn't need Pelosi to go over there and visit uh, Taiwan, reinforcing that relationship. He's essentially calling that action uh, irresponsible, though I think Friedman re- respects Pelosi's uh, domestic politics. I want to highlight a, a opinion piece uh, by an by a journalist, uh, Josh Rogan, writing for the Washington Post. Uh, this uh, a journalist who I greatly respect in his perspective on world events. And he would write, quote, Pelosi, as the elected leader of a democratic body, has every right to travel to Taiwan, and Beijing has no right to interfere. And this kind of underscores my opinion on how I view this kind of trip by Pelosi. First of all, uh, Congressional trips around the world like this, especially from the Speaker of the House, are very important. She has an immense amount of power. Whoever holds the office of the Speaker of the House holds an immense amount of, of power in American politics. Uh, to include how much we spend on uh, foreign aid, military spending, etc., all that impacts our allies around the world. So these kind of trips are very normal, and they're a good thing. And related to Taiwan... This is, I think, an important timing of a trip since no Speaker of the House, as I, if I stand corrected, uh, hasn't visited Taiwan since Newt Gingrich in 1997. So this is a pretty big deal in terms of the timing. And I think if we recognize the timing post 
Russian invasion of Ukraine, our, <clears throat> our allies around the world, especially those in, in and around China, want to know where does the United States stand in terms of their um, our reasonableness or our willingness to defend unprovoked and, um, invasions, much like we've seen in Russia and Ukraine. What would the United States do, say, if China were to invade Taiwan? So these tr kind of trips are very important. And I agree with Rogan in this point that he wrote, um, and I'll put this link in my, in the, my Instagram feed if you follow me to go back and read it, as I do encourage that. The, right, the fact is, Pelosi, as an elected leader of a democratic body, has the right to visit Taiwan. China doesn't get to say anything about it. That is the bottom line at the end of the day, because from one democratic country to another, and an ally in the region, uh, we have the right to visit that that country. Uh, China can be upset and irritated about it, and I personally believe they are posturing to see what the United States will do if, in fact, they do make these kind of overt threats, uh, threatening military action, uh, whether that's uh, increase sending more flights into the um, the Taiwanese Taiwanese airspace, particularly uh, the round the day of or in around the day that. Speaker Pelosi is to visit. They can do this kind of posturing and conduct these types of operations, uh, which could provide an opportunity for an error, mistake, or a misunderstanding. However, um, now that the Speaker Pelosi has mentioned this on her agenda, I think it's important she follow through to reveal that the United States is, in fact, not weak on China policy and that China does not get to dictate where the United States representatives go. So there's this update on the current situation uh, with Speaker Pelosi visiting our uh, allies on this Asia tour. Let's pivot and let's move on to revisit, really, something I've talked about in the past of Chinese biotech companies collecting uh, collecting Americans' DNA uh, for nefarious purposes. Actually, if you go back to episode 27, I talked a full-length episode about this issue titled China Collecting Your DNA. I encourage you to do that if you find this kind of stuff interesting. The reason it's relevant as of today was Colorado's Jason Crow. He's a U.S. House Democrat, and he's a member of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, really wants you to steer clear of DNA testing platforms. Uh, Axios reports that the lawmaker made his feelings clear during an appearance at the Aspen Security Forum uh, last week where he urgently warned that DNA-based bioweapons created to, quote, target specific people on a battlefield or on the horizon, and that private DNA testing companies like Ancestry.com and 23andMe may make them possible by selling genetic data about users. So here's the example of how this could all come to fruition. You're interested in knowing your genealogy and your ancestral uh, history. So you give your DNA sample to 23andMe or you know, company XYZ, whoever's doing the testing. And this company is actually based in China. So they send you the results and notice, uh, and you also notice that a biotech company they partner with recognize a genetic tendency in your DNA. Say, for example, you're predisposed to heart disease, which by coincidence, is the number one health condition in the U.S. is heart disease. It's one of the leading causes of death. It's about a more than a quarter of deaths annually. Um, maybe, I think, every, estimated every heart attack in the United States are like every 43 seconds. So to hear that, oh my gosh, I have a predisposed condition to heart disease, and this is such a huge killer of Americans, this company has a medicine available to heal that disease by evaluating my DNA and crafting medicine just designed for me. 
naturally. I think we gladly accept the medicine. This is huge. Now, you multiply that example by millions of Americans and everywhere they're having the heart disease healed, this is incredible news. Now, the Ancestry Company and the biotech company are being are based in China. Keep this in mind. Uh, this is where they're creating this life-saving medicine. And it's a reminder, many companies in China, if not all, are merely an extension of the Chinese Communist Party. What I mean by that is though they're acting in the interest of a shareholder and they're trying to gain market share of whatever industry they're in, they have an attachment to the Chinese Communist Party and its political in-state. So now that the Chinese Communist Party recognizes one of their biotech companies is creating all this life-saving medicine, and it, it's become a very a, a, a crutch that Americans are now leaning on heavily to resolve the heart disease, Chinese Communist Party decides to make a, a decision, a foreign policy decision, telling American that, you know, these Marines you have stationed in Japan, we don't like that. I know Japan's one of your closest allies, and you're going to be participating in your annual military training exercise. We're not fans of that. So the Chinese Communist Party is now calling on the American president, telling him or her to not send Marines to Japan or to conduct this annual military exercise. Matter of fact, remove all your troops from Japan. Or if you don't, China's going to stop providing its life-saving treatment to millions of Americans. I'm trying to connect the po- the hap- what's happening now to the possible what's happening in the future just by making inferences on how the Chinese Communist Party operates and the data they already have. This is how you could go from a simple thing of, oh, what's my genetic background, to a, a huge problem for the United States. And I think this is why uh, this particular member of the House Intelligence Committee brought it up in the first place, saying, though you might be tempted to use these kind of services, do not be fooled what the Chinese uh, government is trying to provide. They are always looking at recreating a hierarchy that puts them at the top and lowers America and its citizens from the top of that hierarchy. That's how they view the world. So we talked about Pelosi, highlighted this issue again. I can encourage you to go back to episode 27 to listen to China collecting your DNA. Let's pivot and close out with a zero COVID strategy. In case you weren't aware, um, like many countries enduring the Omicron strain, um, like here in the United States, for example, everybody essentially got it or they already have been vaccinated or perhaps they had another strain prior and Omicron just made its way like wildfire through the country. I remember that's the strain I got sick for about a day with a headache, kind of a fever. Then I had a cough for about a week and then it went away. That's essentially what it was for me. Maybe you can relate if you had it as well. In China, however, they, especially in their more populated cities like Shanghai, they did not take the approach that the United States did. They incorporated a zero COVID policy. They shut down their the city and many cities in order to prevent the spread of this virus. Now, this isn't early 2020. No, this is the spring of 2022. I'm going to highlight a couple of pieces that reveal of how they've been that how China has approached this problem. Uh, this is according to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Jumping ahead to 2022, after 60 days, six zero days of lockdown, the spring Shanghai nervously reopened on June 1st 
just with a mere 29 cases of COVID being reported the day before. I was down from a peak more than 26,000 per day in April. So to China's leadership, this transition, 26,000 a day to just 29 cases a day, this transition is proof that zero COVID has succeeded again. By contrast with the West, where populations have acquired, or at least temporarily, a wall of immunity through infection and vaccinations, and where life is returning to some level of pre-pandemic normality, China's leadership argues it simply cannot afford, at present, to shift course and reopen. So much of China's population is immunologically naive that the losses might exceed a million deaths if China reopens before proper protective measures have been introduced. Now, costs have steadily mounted. An uncompromising zero-COVID strategy has had deep and likely long-lasting societal, political, and economic impacts. Popular exasperation at this rigid and inhumane treatment has filled social media, uh, while at the same time China's economy froze up even worse than early 2020. The economic dislocations are now spilling into the larger world, you know, fueling inflation, disrupting supply chains, triggering a retreat or pause by some foreign businesses in China, and increasing external concern over China's deepening isolation. And this reveals, in my mind, how President Xi is handling his current place at his, in the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, according to the Times of India, they point out that President Xi can afford little internal dissent as he prepares for a twice-a-decade leadership reshuffle later this year, when he's expected to secure a precedent-breaking third term. The statement that the Chinese Communist Party has made it hasn't mentioned the need to balance economic growth, which has been a key source for Communist Party legitimacy for more than four decades. Now, this suggests that Xi is staking his authority on COVID policy. He's trumpeted as evidence of how China's model of governance is superior to Western democracy. The fact is, Xi cannot afford to lose. So the standing committee from the Chinese Communist Party, it, the statement it has made recently shows that Xi is seeking to fend off opposition to the policy, the zero-COVID policy, because nobody can challenge the party's decisions, as according to Deng Yuen, a former editor of the Communist Party newspaper. The Shanghai chaos reinforced Xi's belief in zero-COVID because a high death toll would be blamed on the party, he added. No matter how much disunity from within, they still have to listen to Xi, Deng said. COVID prevention has become a fight for Xi cannot afford to lose. So keep this in the, in the mind of Xi's legacy. He's going for an unprecedented third term. He's rewritten the Constitution, as I understand it, to allow himself to serve essentially as a dictator until he dies. And he has made the Taiwan issue and retaking a Taiwan a, a part of that legacy. I'll draw a parallel, much like Putin has made the retaking of Ukraine a part of his legacy. Xi is doing similarly with Taiwan. COVID has made the Chinese Communist Party and Xi vulnerable and by opposition to Xi's leadership. So he has buttoned down on this zero COVID policy. He's hinging his whole authority, the fact that this policy has worked. So there is a vulnerable Chinese president Pair this with 
Speaker of the House of the United States visiting Asia and most likely going to be visiting Taiwan, a country that China doesn't even recognize as an autonomous independent state. Typically, or at least historically, when authoritarian leaders find themselves vulnerable from domestic political issues, they often will reach out for aggressive foreign policy. This is why I'm trying to connect in your mind how Pelosi's visit, valid and certainly reasonable, can trigger an action by the Chinese Communist Party because Xi feels vulnerable to cement his authority for essentially a lifelong rule. This is, you connect these different issues, this is kind of highlights all the current policies by the Chinese Communist Party affecting us in the United States. China saying one of our democratic leaders can't visit a country, using its biotech companies to evaluate our DNA. Zero COVID policy uh, and affecting the foreign policy decision-making by a vulnerable president. This is the lay of the land, as I, at least I see it, and some very key issues on China's policies affecting just you and I as everyday Americans. So this leads us in kind of closing out of our courses of action. What can we believe will happen moving forward? Most likely is course of action for China and its policies, in my view, would say be the most likely is, is that tensions are going to rise. And China will most likely become more aggressive, especially patrolling and their military patrolling in the Taiwan Strait, Taiwanese Straits, uh, the South China Sea. And this could be including both their naval and air assets, perhaps even cyber security and cyber attacks as well. Now, the most dangerous course of action, in my view, is that President Xi, believing that his leadership is perceived to be weak by other members of the, of the Communist Party, he takes this perception and begins to employ aggressive military tactics that elevate the opportunity for mistakes, opportunity for misunderstandings between Chinese military and American and military and allies in the region. This opportunity for mistakes and misunderstanding could create a scenario where we have now uh, an American or an allied military asset in conflict with a Chinese military asset, perhaps even escalating to a, a battle or even a, a large-scale war. And this, in my mind, is the most dangerous course of action that Xi could take in the current, in current situation. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed kind of this update on Chinese policies and how I believe they're affecting uh, Americans. And thank you for anybody who follows me on Instagram and uh, answers these questions. I want to provide resources and provide information that you find valuable, obviously, always through my perspective and my, uh, um, my outlook on the world. As always, I hope you are picking up what I'm putting down. I am Matt Parker, and this is Brief Before Impact.